Welcome to Based On, an adaptation podcast. I'm Pamela Portnoy. My guest today is actor, writer, and producer James Liddell. We'll be talking about Dorian Gray, directed by Oliver Parker and written for the screen by Toby Finlay, which is, of course, based on the novel The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. Just a fair warning, there will be spoilers. Hi, James. Hi. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for taking the time. Of course. You said we're talking about the movie, but we can talk more about the book than about the movie, right? Uh, yeah. Okay, good. You really need to talk more about the book because you're really unhappy with this film choice. No, I didn't say that. I can tell that you are thinking that. Well, um, you know, I don't want to spoil my point of view on which I like better outright but the movie was not my favorite movie <laughs> that's so PC of you whereas I like the book very very much before I pressed record you were singing a very different no, tune <laughs> but here's the thing I'm not going to trash something like a movie because I know how inevitable it is to fuck up a movie. Yeah. Especially when it comes from, you know, text like this. Somebody yeah. is going to get in the way. Yeah. Everyone may have the best intentions. Everything may be great, but somebody's going to come in and say something that ruins everything. And I feel like maybe that's what happened with the movie. I think the film definitely has a lot of good things in it. It, no, there was definitely some good things in it. There was. But here's the thing. Okay? This is my my point of view on the movie in general. Most of the time with films, you get people that are very hung up on the idea that, well, it's a visual medium. It's a visual medium. It's a visual medium. But here's the thing. You're taking something that is beautiful words. That doesn't mean just because you need to make it visual, you don't capitalize on what is so great about the words. And I feel like getting so hung up on that idea of a visual medium, yeah. it just means you need to be that much more creative in showing what is already there as opposed to just writing new stuff that may be <laughs> visual and leaving out. Not, I don't even want to say leaving out because again, it's a movie you have to condense, but just not doing it justice and altering and, and losing the theme of the story it betrayed itself i'm a fairly like open-minded human when it comes to the people adapting the piece changing things so i'm excited to get into talking to you about what changes were made and which ones were effective if any and which ones were not but before we do that i hate to just hold that hold that with you make a note in your brain all right because our audience is probably dying to know your answers to our rapid fire quiz. Nervous about so, this. I don't like this stuff. Because you come in here, you know, all engines ablaze. You got me fired up with your opinions. The thing. You got me going <laughs> with your opinions, and uh, they're like, we don't even know what he likes and what he doesn't like. And like what his personality and I don't even know are. what I like and don't like. Well, we're gonna figure that out right now. Are you ready to adapt? 
to our rapid fire quiz. Yes. Okay. Question one, a book before movie or movie before book? Uh, Depends. Fabulous. No, 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 wait, let me answer. Okay. All right. No, generally, I would say book before movie. But I know as we get going, I'm going to constantly say, well, I saw the movie, but I didn't read the book. And I'm going to be very hypocritical in that sense. But I feel like if a movie comes out and is really strong on its own, then that's fine. And movie before book. So I would say typically book before movie. But if uh, you haven't read the book and the movie is great, just see the movie. But if it's like, ah, well, the book was better then just read the book. Okay. Very that's good. All. You look so frustrated. <laughs> These questions are infuriating because I don't have an answer to anything. I have no direct answers. As I mentioned, like James is also a writer and a filmmaker. Um, so I'm sure it's incredibly infuriating. Okay. Happy ending or shocking twist? Again, I can't answer because I don't feel like that's I don't feel like that's an either or. I mean You're gonna just, come at me with a New whatever serves the story whatever serves <laughs> the story i like a happy ending i like a shock shocking twist but it has to serve the story i can't wait for the email that i'm inevitably going to get from you after this recording session that's going to say you need to be asking your guests this instead of your dumb oh, rapid come on. Fire. I never, you think i could ever <laughs> do what you do i do like a happy you're, ending you're but it, it i feel like it has to um it has to just be organic and honest. And then definitely a twist that that isn't earned. That's awful, right? We agree on that? Yeah, we agree on that. Everything has to be earned. Yeah. Most devastating book death. I feel like this one's so going to be so common, but I have to say uh, Oberyn Martell from Game of Thrones. Okay. Okay. You, rem- you remember? You maybe remember the show. When he got, I think it's the end of season three when he gets his skull crushed by the mountain. Oh, yeah. Rough. Yeah, that's brutal. Favorite fictional couple? (sighs) Casablanca. Rick and us. That's not what you said before. What did I say? Oh, (laughs) Jamie. (laughs) Jamie and Cersei. (laughs) Come on. Different times, different places. Oh my god. Um, Casablanca, good answer. Uh, favorite film adaptation? I don't, I don't know. I really like Fight Club, you know that. And uh, probably yeah. I would go with No Country for Old Men. Nice, really, really enjoyed that movie when it came out. Excellent. Least favorite, this one. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, I was trying to think of another one, but this one for this sure. One. <laughs> I don't want to spoil it already, but this one for sure. Oh my god! Favorite actor, male or female? <sighs> Never good at. It. I always in three hours. I'm be like, oh yeah, these are all the people I like. You got but to I see the question beforehand. I know. <laughs> But I always think I always just like say the obvious thing. I like, oh, Brad Pitt. But then yeah. I'm gonna be like, oh, that's not even true at all. So honestly, I don't know who I like. It changes. Oh no, I know what I wanted to say. 
What? Doesn't mean it's entirely true, but in this moment, uh, Nick Cage. You're liking Nick Cage. I know you're liking Nick. Nick Cage because you've been watching the National Treasure. A lot Treasure of National movie. Treasure going on. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. So right now, Nick Cage, uh, Brendan Fraser, guys like that, oh, guys like Tim Allen. Um, <laughs> you know the classics. Yeah, I put you're Tim Allen on that list. Quest? You're watching Galaxy Quest? I did. I watched Galaxy <laughs> Quest. I watched The Mummy. What about Alan Rickman? <laughs> oh, he's, a, yeah, obviously. Yeah, amazing. Favorite fandom? I don't know what that means. Favorite fictional universe? Oh, okay. Uh, I thought that's what you meant. I mean, I hate to say it, but it, 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 it would have been Game of Thrones before the last season. Okay. Do you participate in said fandom? I used to read like all the theories and I'd be on the Reddit boards um, wasting hours. I'm more of a lurker. I'm more of a lurker in that world. Are you a troll at all? No, not at all. I'm too much of a people pleaser. I can't even troll with the, without putting my name on it. Amazing. If you could have drinks with any author, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Do they have to speak? the same language as me do we have like google translator oh my god here we go no they don't okay then i would say uh i don't know probably camo camo you know i was gonna say that <laughs> yeah that or Dostoevsky. nice yeah why uh, because i'm most impacted by their writing and it's it leaves so many questions and conversations to be had beautiful Doesn't what would you drink with you. them what would you drink with them um gin i don't even gin? like gin but in that conversation i think you have to drink gin even with dostoevsky like not vodka go with gin gin i like gin too favorite book or film quote all right i got a couple here well, what do we right. do? Can I do? Are we doing two? What? What's? Is there a preference, film or book? Or do we do both? We could do both. Okay. Well, first, I did one. One of my favorites from the book, "The Picture of Dorian Gray," just because it was apropos. But I know that that's not necessarily part of the rules. I wonder if you wrote down one of the ones I wrote down from the book. What'd you write down? Um. I have so many here. Let me pull mine up while you pull yours up and then we can compare notes. Mine's very basic. Mine's very, it's just a one line quote, but it, within the context of everything and with, within the, the themes and the content that I like to read, it, it, very compelling to me. Mm -hmm. Just simply, uh, each man lived his own life and paid his own price for living it. Yeah, I like that. One that stood out to me, was um couple stood out to me it's you know more than you think you know just as you know less than you want to know nah and then words mere words how terrible they were how clear and vivid and cruel one could not escape from them and yet what a sub subtle magic there was in them here's the thing about this book you can find like and world-class quote on every single page because it's wild it's and incredible. The, the only good parts about the movie are when it actually quotes the book. <laughs> oh my god! Because we have to through, spin it. You, 
Because there were things I actually enjoyed. No, there was, but okay, we'll talk about those. Oh my god, but we can't. We if you googled, if you googled like, oh, great quotes, you would come across so many quotes from this book. And I'm not going to trash it. I already said from the beginning, I don't. Just you, you, anytime you compare something to to something that has already stood the test of time, you you are setting out to compete against something that has established itself as great and you can't intentionally replicate that and i think yeah. that's just an inherent problem with adaptations i feel like i do agree with what you were talking about at the beginning when you were talking about how certain changes that they made to make it more cinematic were just unnecessary i actually like fully understand why they made those changes I do. No, I get it. I mean, I know there's purpose, but it's like, all right, man, if I make a change and it doesn't work, I've messed up. I've, I've, because like how, how boring would it? Like, I don't know. Like, and this is where my taste is just die. Here's the thing. I'll write a seventy-page scene that that's something I would want to see, but anybody who's going to make a movie and has put themselves in a place in life to be able to make your movie is going to say, why is this page, this scene 95 pages? It should be three. So there's yeah. definitely like an issue with my taste is, you know, for longer, more subtextual, uh, sometimes dialogue driven scenes. And you get so much of that in the book. And I feel like they could have at least, tread it a little closer to the riskier sides of letting some of this this banter and dialogue play out the way that it is written and is supposed to as opposed to airing on the lighter side of things when you have the material to work with because that is the material you have to work with the the philosophy of of wild's characters is what's so compelling about the book yeah and you've lost that because you've chosen to try and fit the mold of a Hollywood film a little bit better. And again, it may not be you chosen. I'm, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the hell happened. I have no idea. It could have been a, an amazing script. It's and then incredibly just didn't hard. Oh, it's I know. And that's why I don't want to bash it like because this. it's like, I, I can't write anything good, let alone allow it to Come still on, be good when it's by the time it's a movie good things that you've written but and then to also have it continue to be good throughout a process that typically destroys material yeah so but we'll get there we'll get to that we're gonna get there we're gonna get there and plus i was Um, so biased two minutes in i'm like what are we doing here what are we doing come on what are we doing I knew you would hate it too when I was watching it. I'm like, and oh I didn't God, want I to. I wanted to like it. I really like was watching. It. I was like, oh, this is gonna be a fiery episode. <laughs> All right, I wanted to like it. I did, and I tried I, things I liked about it. It really riled me up, and I enjoyed watching something that I just read come to life. And there, there were just certain scenes where my reaction was not the reaction that the filmmakers wanted me to have. Yeah, and there was was so much of like that. I had an opposite reaction. (laughs) There was so much of that, like what you'd see in a show making fun of the process of of creating uh, 
entertainment as far as like a, a writer and the the exec saying, well, what if we changed the, the, this to, there's an episode of family guy where Brian writes an amazing script and everyone loves it. And then he wants to cast Elijah Woods. And then the execs like, yeah, but what about James Woods? And then it goes from like this sincere drama to a sitcom where James Woods is going to the same college as his daughter. And he has yeah. a pet monkey as a friend. And it, yeah, it's some of it feels it. like, Oh, that's what happened here. So yeah, got it's a like pet monkey as a friend. The, the filmmaker, uh, the filmmaking process. Because yeah. there are so many people that put their input in. Yeah, and maybe you know, you know, it comes down to, in in honestly, it's an essential part of the business, I think, to some extent, but maybe not to the extent that it currently and always has been. But when the power is held by people who don't necessarily hold the the creativity, and the people that have the creativity don't necessarily have the power. Do you think? What do you think the target audience was for this film? Mm. Because I, part of me doesn't even think that it's people that have read the book. No, of course not. I don't think it, it would be that. But it it feels like it also could have just been like the thing of like, we may lose money on this, but it's kind of like our, our Oscar bait or our award season bait, which I think they came up a little short. There were lots of things that I didn't like, but there were lots of things that I did like. Yeah, I mean, the demographics got to be, you know, 25 and up women am i wrong yeah probably probably yeah what do you think of the casting choices i didn't have an issue with the casting choices but i definitely took some issue of with the way that the cast was directed okay or the choices you know you don't know who, who made what choice on set but and again i that, thought colin Firth was incredible i did too but i also thought that he and again, this is, starts with the script, of course, but he definitely got away from the character from the book. He definitely, and again, this may be a thing of like, well, somebody reads the book first and then like somebody in Twilight watches the movie and it's like, well, that's not that character. Could be a thing of that, but the way that Lord Henry carries himself and, and the points of view that he represents, I felt like were a bit betrayed. And I think probably because of the script. It you was disagree. definitely because of, no, I think it was definitely because of the script. Yeah. Especially because he plays I don't think it had anything to do with the acting because yeah. I think he acted. What well, he was, was in he the acted, script. he acted incredibly right, but it strayed very far from the book and his, his lack of arc in the book is very important. And his character in the book is very important. And in the book, he plays a character which probably represents uh, Wilde's more cynical and skeptical point of view on the world. Yeah. And he doesn't change. And in right. this book, and he's not an active participant in no, no. what's he, going on. He with sits Gloria. by and he watches and he whispers in people's ears and, and he wants to, to kind of watch the show, but he doesn't in action ever really partake in what he claims to bl believe to be true about the world. Right. And I feel like he was painted much more as like a manipulator, the, the manipulative person who, who forced and, and coerced and, and, and steered Dorian into this lifestyle where that's not necessarily not the case in the book, but it was in much more of like a whispering a word in his ear and watching, lending him a book and watching. Exactly. Yeah. And then by the end of the film, 
he now has this daughter who is either 18 based on logic or 35 based on casting. I'm not sure. The time frame got a little fuzzy there. But and he's he's a changed man and he has a different point of view on the world and that betrays and he falls in love. Yeah. And it completely betrayed the character. And again, that's the script's fault, I think. Yeah. And especially at the end, he's become like we get these like action sequences where he's rushing to the attic to try and be the hero, and now there's this fight sequence, and he's trying to change door. It was like that's Basil. We didn't get that stuff with Basil when we were supposed to, and now we're getting it at the end of the film with Lord Henry, who is the antithesis of Basil, right? I just feel like they maybe wanted to amp up. Yeah, but sometimes you don't, if you do it right, you don't got to amp it. But the thing about it is, like, if they didn't, how, I mean, I'm obviously not going to come up with this right now sitting here, but, like, it puzzles me. Like, how would they show Dorian's, like, most of the book is about Dorian's thoughts and struggles internally. And that right. doesn't so you have to put of course. into the screen very easily. Yeah, you have to put that into action and, and scenes, but you still have to put that into actions and scenes, not just completely fabricated other thoughts and motives and actions. Like if you if it's a challenge to interpret something, it doesn't to me it doesn't mean that that's an out to just do it differently. You know what I mean? Well, it's all in his head. How do you shoot that? Oh, well, let's just shoot something else. No, the question is still, how do you shoot that? Can you, do you think? Then don't adapt. The, don't <laughs> do the movie. What do you mean? Let's do let's do Lion King, but well, we don't know anybody that does CG. We can't do it. We don't have What if I just get down on all fours and roar and pretend to be a lion? Yeah, because we couldn't do that. No, just I'm not gonna redo the Lion King. <laughs> All right, all right. Do you disagree? No. I feel no, like they, but I feel like I feel like it was I feel like if that were the case of like, well, how do you this is we're gonna make our best this is our best effort at writing what he's thinking in action. If that were the case, okay, all right. Uh, I see, yeah, that's the, but it felt much more like, oh, how can we do it that's gonna have much more mass appeal and gonna make for good stills and gonna have a great scene for the trailer? And this actor is going to love. It felt like the changes had ulterior motives, which I think is an issue when you're adapting something, especially like this. I agree with that. Because you can feel the difference. You can feel, well, it's an adaptation. It's something different. All right. Or what what are we doing? Were you so mad at me when I assigned? No, I mean, all right. Had I not read the book, you assigned the it book. Would have been a fine I assigned movie. It would have been the a movie. fine movie. I'd have been like, okay, well, that's a movie. But I read the book first. Yeah. And it's a really great book. It's phenomenal. And I know that's like the cliche of like, yeah, but you got to read the book. So much better. But this, the divide is great. But books provide something that I feel like, unfortunately, a lot of films don't, which but is a lot of films do psychology all right but still like that's the craft of writing that's the craft of screenwriting okay you're you're not you're writing a screenplay 
So the craft of adapting a novel into a screenplay is knowing and, and creating ways to show what people are thinking. But you st- taking too much liberty and showing something else, and I'm, re- I'm, I'm just repeating myself now, it's not the book anymore. Which, once you get to a certain point, it's not the story anymore. And it's fine to go, well, the book is different than the it's, movie, it's but is the story, story the same? Plot-wise, yeah. Plot-wise, okay. Thematically, no. And and why has this book stood the test of time? Be Not because of the plot. It's a cool plot. It's a very interesting plot. But if that movie were made on its own, it still has the plot. Anybody, is anybody talking about this movie other than us? See, I said I wasn't going to bash. It wasn't <laughs> a bad movie. There was so much great craft about it. There was so much beautiful cinematography. There was so much great acting. There was it, it had uh, so much going design, for it. Design, the yeah. casting, casting was the, really good. They had the some, craft like, of it was actors. was really uh, strong. Fiona Shaw, Colin Firth, um, you know, um, Rebecca Hall, Ben Barnes. I've never seen anything that Ben Barnes did before. Who's the man that played Dorian? I have, have but I didn't him? know it until after I watched the movie. He's in Westworld. You would recognize him from that. Who does he play in Westworld? Is he in a, in the new season? He plays. Uh, he may be like a hologram or a flashback. I don't remember. But in season one and two, he plays uh, James. I'm going to say this last name wrong. I think James Devos's son. So the guy that initially goes to the park to check with the younger man in black okay to check it out as an investment possibility okay i'm it's fuzzy for me but okay you if you saw a screenshot he looks different because he's so much older but he's great in the show too for uh, dorian i mean that's an unbelievably hard role to cast because it's like you have to do everything you have to be wide-eyed innocent and like world weary. Yeah. But I, I feel like a lot of actors can do that. What a lot of actors can't do is be seen as absolutely beautiful by everybody's eyes, you know, because beauty is subjective, but in this, he is the definition of beauty and youth and innocence. And it's like, how do you cast that and still have somebody that can portray what you're talking about? Because I, I was I like, okay, he was really uh, like, I, I could see why they cast him physically. Um, yeah. I just feel like that's something that's so subjective. That's what I mean. It's really subjective. So like through yeah. my eyes, I'm like, uh, yeah, I mean, he's very, he's a very pretty boy. He's not necessarily what i pictured but then that just goes into and that's what i mean man like don't don't get in my psychology here of what i'm looking for in men all right i'm telling you i'm not saying i like rugged i you know he's a bit he's a bit twinky in the beginning not opposed to that and he was very his face looked very beautiful on camera but I think the part, and I, and I was trying to judge how I, not judge, but I was trying to assess how I felt about the casting in the first 20 minutes of the film. And I thought it, it it was a really good choice. And I thought he did do a really good job. But then when you have a scene where women who haven't met him 
there's 20 beautiful women across the room all whispering and just ready to faint because he's so gorgeous. Then I go, eh, well, he's all right. But again, that's tough to cast. I know a couple guys that maybe fit the bill. Oh my God. But that's tough. Are we, I think we're thinking of the same guy. <laughs> no. <laughs> of course we are. <laughs> I'd have cast him in a movie. <laughs> Shout out to Drew. <laughs> oh, that's a hell yeah. So... What I was going to say also is I feel like there have been other films that have had that problem. Like in, first of all, I have to say, like I swoon at Rob Pattinson. Me too. 100%. Yeah. Right. But I feel um, like a lot of people probably took issue with his casting in Twilight, right? took a lot of issue with his casting in Twilight. And I, I would always good. argue with them, with them. I'm like, oh my God, what are you talking about? He's gorgeous. He's all the things. And, yeah. but. It's, it's it's so subjective. Somebody out there is always going to have some sort yeah, of opinion. And somebody's imagination has already done so much of the heavy lifting with the book. That's the great thing about a book is somebody with a strong imagination, you know, people who are avid readers are going to build this world and these people themselves. And then when you try and change that, it's not going to sit well with them. And I feel like that was that's probably a massive issue with every adaptation, especially like the teen novels. But I think Rob. Pattinson is the man. We He's like him. Hunk. I like him for Batman too. I'm very excited for him to be Batman. Yeah. He's great. I, uh, He's Edward Cullen. He's yeah. Batman. He's everybody. Yeah. I feel and like he's actually really on my last episode too. Let's keep wow. talking about him, huh? Keep talking about him. <laughs> no, I think he's a great actor too. Yes. He's phenomenal. See that—that's who I would have said if you asked me. One of the an actor I like, I like. You would have been a good Dorian Gray. You would have been a great Dorian Gray. Probably what was that two thousand nine? I mean, he could like I—I I don't doubt his acting ever because I think he's incredibly talented. He's also a little um, too, and I don't mean I anything by this. World weary, like he's—he's he's a little. Yeah, I mean, he definitely has. He he has more of like what Dorian would look like after he's gone through some shit. As opposed to the 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 face of innocence, don't you, like you see a little bit too much experience in life in his eyes. Where Dorian Gray doesn't have to experience that visual effect. Yeah, that's so interesting, and, and that's a little through, in my opinion a big compliment. Yeah, and and is you know for how however great looking Robert Pattinson is, he also is a little too much of like an everyman. You know, he's like a great looking everyman as opposed to like the put that face on a painting. Am I wrong? I disagree. I okay. Disagree. I could be out of line here. I don't know. I, I, I totally think that that if I were to like create a vision board <laughs> for casting, I think really like a top choice for that role. Yeah, but for sure. Right. But I mean, like there's guys that are good looking where their flaws make them better looking in experience. Am I wrong? Whereas Dorian Gray should just be pristine perfection. Right. And what um, I'm saying is you're so right. That's Pattinson. where my that's what I like when like my right. subjectivity Some, showing right now because I like a guy that has yeah. had but has, you know I liked guys like there what's the movie where they talk about like 
oh, girls like scars because it means that you survived an attack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's tons of quotes like that, but it, it and it, it also goes into you know the the philosophy and the idea of aesthetic and beauty. And I think a lot of what the book is talking about is like, or trying to get at, which, you know, some people may disagree with the existence of this, but objective beauty and, and getting past the subjective where we're talking about Robert Pattinson. I feel like a lot of that is subjective or if a girl likes a guy with a scar or a rug or whatever it may be. I think what Dorian Gray should represent and a lot of the philosophy of the novel represents is objective beauty where like a, a straight man that, exactly yeah where a straight man can look at dorian gray and go yeah i see that's a beautiful beautiful man whereas there's a lot of guys that women find horribly attractive that guys are like I don't, I don't get it i feel like that's more of a subjective attraction yeah Where's Rob Lowe? I mean, I mean, who doesn't find that guy attractive, right? <laughs> what was the text he sent me? He's such a dream. I asked you if you listened to the podcast yet, and he said no, and I said he's a dream. I think that's what I'm going to do after this. I think I'm going to pour myself a glass of red wine and and watch the Joe Rogan podcast. Because here's the thing: he's just talking and he's being himself, and he's saying, "If you know, he's just you're like, oh yeah, this is this guy." And yeah. he's not being phony. And it was like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Ugh. What a dream. What a hunk. He's such a hunk. He's a hunk. We love us some Rob Lowe. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Rob Lowe. <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> Rob. <laughs> we love you. Loved you in Wayne's World. Loved him in West Wing. I just finished rewatching the series. Wait, you watch West Wing? That was my quarantine rewatch. <laughs> I know. I loved it. Next is Newsroom, I think. Newsroom's great. I love that. I do all this work in, you know, like bibliography. My Olivia Munn is your Rob Lowe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no words. And Milo Ventimiglia and Michael B. Jordan and... Yeah. Should I just should we just do the list right now? Yeah, let's do that instead. <laughs> let's just talk about guys. <laughs> Girl talk. talk. about boys. Let's talk about boys. So let's talk about these big differences, like the Alan Campbell that yeah. was not in there at all. Yeah. And I can I can imagine he- that conversation happening of like, well, do we really need this bit about Alan well, Campbell? Well, we really need Right. And they probably did it. And I thought of this like right when I saw it at the beginning of the film, like they probably just wanted to set the tone for something exciting to happen. Mm-hmm. And again, and that's why you yeah, they in the trunk. We, of the river they wanted to see him doing it. We he, They wanted the suspense and tension of is he going to get caught? Is he not going to get caught? But again, this is where let's make it more visual and cinematic and raise the stakes and this and that. It, it does a disservice to the story because so much of what was riding on the Alan Campbell character getting rid of the body was the fact that there's absolutely no evidence. It makes it very clear that none of his fear, none of his anxiety is at the fear or threat of being caught. It makes it very clear that there is no chance he can possibly get caught. Now they've set us up with, well, a cop saw him, helped him load the trunk. There was blood falling. He's kept the handkerchief, which he does eventually get caught. 
by Lord Henry by finding the handkerchief where right. it was such an, a pivotal point, especially in, in his, his arc to know that there's no chance I can get caught because what it plays into is the idea and the philosophy of if somebody is punished for something. And there's even a great quote in, it may be in the book and the movie, but if you're, it's better to be punished for something than to rather than to have to suffer the, the consequences of your, your own subconscious or conscious or attic or picture in the attic as it is in, in the story. And I feel like we lost that with the fact that he disposed of the body and it was very possible that he could have been busted. And that's one of those things that, that is thought in his head and said many, many times where he says, there's no chance that I'm going to be caught. It's not about that. Okay. Well, now you're saying it's hard to, to shoot something that's in somebody's head. Well, don't shoot the opposite. Okay. So if I can't show that he's not worried about getting caught, why am I going to go and show that he could possibly get caught? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that was a major thematic point for me. I almost want to find the quote that I'm talking about here. When everything is like cleared up for him. Of when he talks about uh, the effect. Well, honestly, it's, I don't have to find it because it's the quote essentially the quote that that I said at the beginning, I feel like, you know, it expands on it quite a bit, but he says each man lived his own life and paid his own price for living it. So if he's afraid of paying the price of society for what he's done, it takes away from the price that he is actually paying in his conscience, which he mentions his conscience uh, or, or in his subconscious or paying whatever religion or philosophy or psychology that it may be. A big theme in the story is that, Whatever action you take, whether you're caught, whether you're at fault, whether you're guilty, whatever it may be, whatever action you take, you are going to pay the price of that action in your soul. Yeah. And I feel like that that was a big misstep as far as the movie goes. Right. And another thing that I thought of, and it wasn't necessarily- That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't necessarily in either of them, but I was a little surprised- and again, I think, I think this may be what happened just in a much more subtle way, you know, because a character doesn't necessarily mean what he thinks or says, but when, when James Vane dies, right. And it happens very, very differently in, in the book and in the movie, but regardless, James Vane is killed near the end. Uh, I almost expected him to be more upset after James Vane is dead because he still has a chance to be punished. If James Vane is alive and trying to kill him, he has a chance at being punished for his crime, which he essentially says, we shouldn't, we sh- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to botch this so badly, but he essentially <laughs> says, we shouldn't pray to be forgiven of our sins, but we should be prayed to be punished for them. And if, yes. if James Vane is alive and trying to punish him for his sins, he has a chance at salvation because he could face a sentence for what he's done. And once James Vane is dead and there's no, in the book, there's no evidence of what he's done. He even says, if I, if I confess, which I need to confess, I have to tell them what I've done. No one would even believe me. I've gotten rid of all the evidence. There's not a shred of the body. They, they would think I was mad if I confessed. So I have no way to face a jury or executioner. But with James Vane alive, 
he could have paid at least for the crime against Sibylvain. But it still wasn't the crime against Basil, which I think is why maybe he was a little at ease once James Jane died. In the book. Both, essentially, but I think it's it, it felt it more prominently in the book because there was still evidence against him in the movie. There was the scarf, the bloodstained scarf that he kept for some reason uh, in the movie that, that yeah. Lord Henry found. I thought it was strange that he kept that. That was like a oh, big cinematic climax at the end of the movie where he finds out. Yeah. But that wasn't the story. Yeah. I was also thinking about how, I don't know, because I do agree with what you're saying about, I do agree with what you're saying about how he was hoping for some sort of physical retribution, I guess, for his actions. But at the same time, and he I, was I terrified. Right. And I don't killed. think it was, I think it was more of like, it wasn't so much that he even knew that he, he wanted punishment, but I, I felt like it was more of like a philosophy of, of wild and in the novel that without punishment, we can never forgive ourselves essentially. And he may not even have been aware of that other than slightly subconsciously because he does let it out a few times, but then he justifies and he says, but it wasn't my fault. I had to kill Basil. And he goes back and, and, even though he's haunted and tormented by what he's done, he keeps finding ways to logically justify what he did. And even when he tries to become good and do a decent thing, he knows he's only doing it because he wants to be seen by himself as good and not because he actually is good. And I think that's where like the, the debate between, you know, what is good and evil, uh, comes in as a, a part of the theme of the play and and we get the difference between basil and lord henry and he is kind of acting out that push pull and we see what he does with it for the first three quarters of the film what Got about it. what about hetty you want to talk about hetty hetty about hetty yeah she's not in the movie maybe that's why you're furrowing your eyebrow remind me okay so he says she's the girl at, at the end so when when dorian gray comes back um and, and him and lord henry have essentially their last scene together in the book he says i finally did something good and i want to be good i did one good thing that means i can do more and he essentially wants the painting to turn back into what it used to be essentially his soul and, and again, that plays into the philosophy of, you know, we are what we do and, and we can justify and no one's ever going to know I did this. Nobody, it does nobody ever, but anything you do, even if it's alone in a room in the dark, you're, you're becoming who you are in doing that. And I think that's what the picture represents. If you take the soul aspect out of it to, to kind of lose the woo woo and think of it in like a psychological aspect of like every action I take creates the algorithm of who i am so the next thing that comes around the next uh decision i'm presented with i'm much more likely to behave in a way as a person that did the action that i previously did and when all of those actions accumulate and build up how can you possibly do something good because of who you are what your picture looks like because you've created this monster 
So you're going to behave like that picture in the attic. So when he thinks that he did something good and Lord Henry makes him question that, it's devastating to him. And it essentially, I think, leads to his downfall. Now, all of that, which sounds so important thematically and 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 plot wise, well, that that doesn't that's not in the, the movie. That's just mm-hmm. not in there. Yeah. Instead, we get Lord Henry's daughter who comes out of nowhere yeah. <laughs> is completely off tune with the book and is completely out of character with everything that that Lord Henry represents in the book. Am I wrong? Did I miss anything? No, I think in the film it wasn't out of place, but as far as the book, yes. And I feel like diving into that relationship even further, I feel like it was the love wasn't earned, but yeah. it was saved because uh Rebecca Hall is so fucking good and so she, because of her, I, I kind of bought it and I loved her character. Yeah, but it it didn't serve anything. It didn't serve anything except for maybe like a glimmer of hope for him to to get out. Yeah, right? and then it but gets taken in, away in again. No, but in no... It heightens the stakes in the okay. cinematic universe. Right, but in no way does it is it active on his part. Whereas with Hetty, he made the decision to leave potential love behind. And in his mind, he took this grand gesture that saved a girl, but in Lord Henry's point of view, and you know what many people may pick up from the book is like, dude, you didn't do all that much. But to him, he made a sacrifice. He sacrificed pleasure. He gave up pleasure, which is the only thing Dorian Gray lives for. He gave up a bit of pleasure to potentially protect a young girl. So to him, he's taken this massive grand gesture, right? And I didn't get that feeling from uh, Lord Henry's daughter, which is essentially the replacement character for that. And then also at the end of the book, we get Lord Henry saying, no, what are you talking about? You've lived the best life. You're so happy. Your life, your art is your life. I'm so happy that you never created a sculpture. You never wrote a poem. You never sang a song because your life is your art and you've lived it brilliantly. Yeah. Now I'm not quoting, but I'm, I'm summarizing the feeling that I got from what Lord Henry was saying to him. So when Dorian's saying, I want to change, I want to be a good man. And this is the first step that I've taken. And I feel like my soul is healing already. And Lord Henry says, you didn't do that for her. You did that for you. And he says, why would you, why would you change? You have everything. I'm 10 years older than you. And I look 50 years older than you. You look 20 years old. You're, you're stunning. You're beautiful. You can have and have had any and everything that you've ever wanted. Why would you change? Don't change. That's stupid. And in the movie, Lord Henry's <laughs> now on his high horse going, I essentially got the feeling of like, I've grown up and you haven't. How can you still be behaving this way? And it was all fun and games when it was people I didn't care about, but now that it's my daughter. Yes, because it's his daughter. It's not that he's disagreeing with what he's doing. It's just stay the fuck away from my daughter. Do what you want. But why write write something so juxtaposed to the character? 
I get what you're saying. And it, it felt like the, Do the you character... think that what Dorian did to Hetty is legitimately selfless? Of course not, but that's the that's that's the debate. And 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 again, philosophically, that's the question that that he and, and so many people have to face of like, or is there any selfless act? It's like, okay, there may not be, but is it better to have a picture, a soul that that wants to act in a way that doesn't hurt other people, even if it is for your own vanity? Or is it better to have a, a, a grotesque, monstrous soul that only acts for pleasure? If I can create a picture that acts and behaves and is happy because it is behaving in a way that is protecting Hetty, well, then that's the picture I want to be. And that's the arc that Dorian goes through in the book. Dorian arcs in the book, Lord Henry stays the same. And in the movie, Lord Henry arcs and Dorian stays the same. It's the picture of Dorian Gray. And I feel like it was a mistake to kind of flip that. And it's not extremely on the nose, but that's the way that it it, it really, really feels. And especially with Lord Henry burning the picture at the end. When Dorian You don't think he down, changes at all? Dorian Gray. In the book. Not in the movie? He doesn't have a chance to show it. I got the sense that he was he going to. He destroys the painting. Oh, after it's burnt. <laughs> it completely convoluted the, the action and, and the intention of what Dorian Gray does in the book. He falls in and love. And especially, he chokes her out. <laughs> At the end in of his the dream. movie. In his dream. All right. Was it real? <laughs> I didn't get the sense that he had the deep. He had the desire. I think that was he a didn't... dream that projected his Who own feelings about his ugliness. Yeah, but he never got the chance to show the burning desire to be good that he had in the book. Lord Henry's heroic escapades got in the way of it. And in the at the end of the book, Lord Henry says he's essentially doesn't give a shit if Basil has been murdered. And right. he essentially says, I wouldn't care if you did murder him, but I know you and you don't you're not capable of that. And then in the well, movie also, I don't know if he legitimately believes what he's saying. Another like does he um, have- Lord Henry theme, because maybe he's just like turning a blind eye. Is and that he's like, oh, you're too beautiful to have murdered Basil. I, don't, I, I think that, I think Let's it's something. Let's move on and get some gin. <laughs> Wait, is that to me or? or no, that's that what Henry? I'm saying. That's what, that's Lord Henry. Yeah. But I don't think he actually believes that it's a possibility. You don't think so? No, I don't. And then in the movie, we have him. <gasps> You've left out the bloody scarf like from the, the man new, you killed 20 years ago. Not only that, but he played like private detective ever from yeah. the moment. He found he the picture. Eyes. Now it's a detective movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was more exciting. It was faster paced. Sure. I really liked that edition. Honestly, like I. Only because, okay. All right. Let's, let's point thing. out the fact here's, that here's you the thing. love Colin Firth. So any scene with him. You're going to defend. I also like Rebecca Hall. But here's the thing. <laughs> like, I don't, I agree with you in that I don't agree with how they change the integrity of the characters written in the book. However, I thought that familial, like, 
problem that they created with like if they had okay they created it it's past our control they did it now mm. that they've done it i actually thought it was well executed okay yeah uh, okay and again this is me being hypercritical because i'm being forced to compare it to the book but if i were to meet the the writer direct oh it would be nothing but admiration because even a bad movie is a really, really good movie because they're so hard to make. You didn't like anything about it. I told you I did. I'm being hypercritical. And you're right. It was a well-executed scene. But my problem is the way that I view any sort of art or entertainment is that the story ought to be served first and foremost. And I, the things I'm saying upset me or deterred me because they didn't do that. Now, with that said, really well shot, well executed scenes. All of the craft and all of the, the work put in can be incredible. But if it doesn't serve the story, it doesn't have a foundation. And that's why we can watch a movie that was made for $500,000 and be in tears. And then we can watch a movie that was made for a hundred million and go, uh, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's where I fall on the end of the movie. I understand. How did you feel about how they handled the degradation of the, I knew you, this, I was painting. just going to bring this up if you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> It just felt you're like those, beat red right not now. Not beat red. I'm <laughs> light red. <laughs> I'm slightly red. <laughs> my veins on my forehead are you're bursting. Popping. It was one of those things that was like, oh, wouldn't it be awesome. And again, I don't know. It's also really, really cool and and challenging effects to accomplish. But it felt like one of those things is like, oh, wouldn't it be awesome and scary if like maggots were falling out of the painting? <laughs> and I'm going, the fuck's this guy How does do? that bio like biologically work? I will say right. that. Like what universe, I mean, we are already bending the rules. Yep. And the by book- the nature of the story, because he's putting his soul in a yeah. painting, which and also like was gave me Harry Potter vibes yeah. in the book. When I was reading the book, I was like, oh my God. He yeah. is slashing this painting. You can't, the body cannot live without the soul. No. That's how Voldemort we gets killed. So yep. I, I was very, very Harry Potter vibes. Yeah. And I feel like, again, with that kind of thing, don't give us any reason to stop and go, wait, how does this work? What's the, what's the mythology here? And how is it in action? And the book does such a good job of, setting a rule and then not touching it whereas the movie doesn't do a very good job of setting the rule and then is all over it dirtying it up challenge i agree like i actually don't like what they did with the with the bugs and the vermin and all that and or the sounds or like like the the physically the physically moving of the actual canvas and it's also it was it, it was kind of trends 
from horror films that don't always stand up against time. Whereas in 2009, when that was the best and coolest thing that we've never seen, it was probably like, oh, whoa, that's really creepy. And now when we're watching it, it's like, and you know, there's, there's horror films that, that made 50, 40, 50 years ago that you can watch and go, oh, oh, whoa, that's really creepy. And I feel like they were more in the world of new cutting edge where it, it, it just didn't hold up. And yeah. there was no reason to have it because here's, here's one example. Uh, how, how easy is it to have the actual line in the movie? The, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Faustian bargain movie right? Mm-hmm. Yes. He is selling his soul to the devil to for the devil. eternal youth Pleasure. And, and, and beauty. Okay. Yeah. Well, what if we just don't put that in? What if we just leave that out? Yeah. Right. In the book, you have a scene where he says, Oh my God, this is, this is the most, is that really what I look like? This is the most beautiful painting I have ever seen. That's what I look like. And he, then he realizes I'm not going to look like this ever again. Every day that goes by, this painting will be prettier than me. And he says, I wish that we could reverse roles and this painting would age and I would never. Kind of important to the plot. Instead, in it the was, movie. would you sell your soul to look like your painting or something like that okay and he says yes and then okay what it felt like they were trying to do is make it look as though lord henry had some sort of like warlock power that was making it happen as he burned the rose and and again that wasn't established verbally and, and wasn't necessarily the intention but that was the feeling that was the connotation of having him ask that in a mysterious way while burning a rose Whereas it is almost a demand from from it Dorian. It is a plea. It is a he's begging. Yeah. In the book, and we never had, we never had that moment of oh okay this is what the movie's about we're doing we're doing the bargain because he never got to make the bargain yeah. unless and the, the implication then is that Lord Henry is is the one dealing his soul, Lord Henry is the one buying it because that's the way it felt. And it was such a beautiful scene in the book. And, and again, it's one of those things where I was thinking about that. I'm like, how is it going to act this? There's no reason not to, to have that scene unless you're just afraid that the actor can't act it. Oh my God. That's what I was thinking about when I was reading this. I'm like, holy shit. How are they going to act this? Because. Yeah. Hey, act it. Hard. Well, yeah, of course. It's very easy for us. You couldn't to imagine seeing. Okay, well, how do you act? Uh, how do you act? Uh, if you think about it, that's an intimidating scene to get right. Okay, so don't do it because it's saying, intimidating. I'm not, I'm not saying that it shouldn't be in there. I 100% think it should be in there, but I'm just, I'm just trying. It's I always, like, am, I'm trying to I know. argue. You're being empathetic, and I'm being a prick, and I don't like to be on this <laughs> end of the table. But you put me here. It's like, okay, watch. You see a performance of the important of, importance of being earnest, okay? Yes. And yeah. it's two people talking, and it's in you cannot look away because it's performed right, right? So, well, I'm reading this, and it's gonna be tough. Oh, no, it's gonna be hard to act. Maybe we just don't do it. No, no, no. I think it should absolutely be in there, and I think when done right, it would that would be what would be like award winning. You know exactly. I mean? 
they, that moment. It felt like they copped out on so many things. Yeah, it just has to be so well written and acted. Yeah. Because for him to just out of nowhere just start pleading with a higher power yeah. for this like that's and I that's never fucking got that crazy. It it didn't impact him the way that it did in the book. It affected him on such a deep level. And I think that's something that we can all relate to and resonate with and which is so important about the story in the book is that feeling of like, stop the clock. What's, I can't stop the clock every day. I can't stop the clock. It keeps moving. And that feeling of desperation of like, wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm 40 now? What? The, I, yeah. No, 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 no. I was just 20. <laughs> I didn't agree to this. And he's realizing in that moment, especially because he's had Lord Henry whispering in his ear a bit. And it was a missed opportunity in the movie because it, it was one of those things that is shootable. Yeah. Now, can we talk, unless you have, you do want to guide us here? We can keep talking about the painting. Okay, but what did you want to talk about? I was going to say, can we talk about, I guess, Colin Firth as Lord Henry? Because mm-hmm. I know I know that you love him and loved it and yeah. his portrayal. Um, yes. Is there anything that you found to be different or missing from, from what you imagined? And, Aside and from the plot away? points? Aside, yeah, perform, let's talk performance. I thought he was in his performance. Yeah. And not just his performance of, oh, he did a really good job craft wise, but, you know, choices and differences from, okay, did this actor just read the script or did this actor read the book? Did he choose to go this direction? Did he leave this out? Because nobody's going to argue that he didn't deliver a really, really great performance. Now, what you can talk about is things that, he either ignored or 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 missed out on as far as the character from the book goes. And, and we as, know there's, there's all right. Well, I asked you first. Well, okay. I don't want to put it on Colin Firth because I feel like I know the we don't extra have to, manipulation okay. was in the writing. All right, I know that. We don't have to blame him. We can say he's incredible. He did an incredible job. But what's different and maybe why? The, the incredible from, amount of manipulation script. and hypocrisy. Yeah. I do feel like, and again, think, it's, it's really hard to talk about a book like this after having read it once. You know, we're, I'm, I'm going to do a, I probably already have been doing a complete disservice to the text because, you know, I, I just finished reading it and, you know, it deserves multiple reasons okay. and research James, and thought. But, James, I'm going to give you this opportunity right now to share with the audience what you shared with me before i hit record what are you talking about which Which part i want six months to prepare this book to be on this show because well to do it i mean to not just be two knuckleheads yammering on about something they know nothing about i feel like that's what it deserves listen i agree with you it's oscar wilde it's a phenomenal piece of writing but still got listen we still it, it has to get done yeah, it's got to get done. Someone's got to do it. And if we encourage one people person to read this book and never watch the movie, we've done our job. <laughs> but what I was going to say. I think you guys should do both so that you can laugh along. No. <laughs> watch it. It was so to all like the filmmakers. Really appealing. To all the and- filmmakers. Well done. I'm an asshole. I don't know what I'm talking about. 
it's very visually appealing. I it's it's entertaining. Um, and I think it's always a really cool exercise to see what they do with the film in comparison, like, and try to think about why they make the choices that they make. And, and like, we honest. might not be agreeing with them, but like, also yeah. like, we're not, what we weren't in the room with them making these choices. Yeah. And I'm, I know, I don't know anything, but also, I don't know like, nothing say, about nothing. I don't know nothing about nothing. And I was going to say, with no context, with no knowledge of the book, it, oh, hey, what's Dorian Gray? I'm going to watch this movie. You know, thematically, there's still a takeaway. There's still, you know, a point of view to be absorbed. Yes. You know what I mean? It just falls short of something that is brilliant, which isn't an insult because everything, near 99.9% of things fall short of brilliance. So still, great it's job. Very, it's very rare for people to be pleased with the film version of yeah, I just like a to favorite not book. that person, and they made me that person. But what I was going to say, you, go ahead. There was only, yeah, never mind. This is going to take like forever. We'll talk what? about it at some point. All right, all right. Yeah. But what I was going to say is, Lord Henry, and again, speaking out of ignorance, only read the book once. But you know, when it comes to Oscar Wilde, you know, with his the life that he lived and his point of view on the world. Um, I feel like that's why Lord Henry is so important because he is playing such a big voice in the point of view from the writer. Now, I feel like they all inhabit different aspects of his point of view. And, you know, most writing, it's somebody having a conversation with themselves. But I do feel like persona wise, Lord Henry embodies Oscar Wilde for the most part. And I feel like something that was... And I don't know, I'm probably going to sound sound out of line here, but I feel like something that was taken for granted, not by Colin Firth, but in the, the performance uh, and maybe due to the script, was a little bit of the, the obsession that maybe Lord Henry had with Dorian. And in more of a sexual way, and not in like an outright sexual come on to him way, but in like a, I want to be this guy. He is extraordinarily beautiful. So I'm going to pull the strings. Mm -hmm. And with a little bit of some homosexuality mm -hmm. and a love for him or, or a lust, I should say, for him and an envy of him. Whereas it felt more of like he was an awful immoral uncle trying to get his nephew to do shitty things because he thinks that's the way to live life. And I think some of that sexual tension was projected onto to Basil because we know in the book that Basil's in it love was, with Dorian. Absolutely Basil's totally in love with in him. Love with him. So but they just put he it would on him never and not... ever do anything to it, it it pains him and takes every ounce of him and almost takes him to his grave to admit what he felt while painting the picture about Dorian. So something that is, is not acceptable to Basil, but he feels wholeheartedly, I feel like was, was a bit of a disservice to put it so blatantly on him and, and have Lord Henry's hands be completely clean of, of any of that aspect of the theme. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. I I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say. I just know I want to say something. <laughs> because you can feel it in Lord Henry. He's he feels so flamboyant in the way that he speaks and the things that he does. You you kind of you know Sorry, people adjusting. like this. You know people like this. And I don't think that Colin Firth was that guy that you know people like this. You know what I mean? I do. I think that like all um, the words were there, all of the 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 witticisms of Wild, uh, all of the the snappy lines, the brilliance. But I feel like it was portrayed in such a different way than it was intended in the book. Do you think that if they had kept it a little bit closer to the way it was written in the book, then the ending would have played the way that it played in the film? I mean, I don't. I don't see like I think could. it would have been harder because of the you know nature of how they wrote the film with the daughter and him disapproving of Dorian uh, pursuing yeah. his daughter. He said, "Leave my daughter alone." Do you think that that would have been able to work if he no. had? I don't think it would him? have made. I don't think it would have been organic, and he doesn't necessarily yeah. have to love him. He just or has like to want to be him, envy him, yeah. him and and lust him. And I feel, I feel like it wouldn't have, have necessarily worked uh, the way that it did. Right. Had that been captured? No, because that's not who Lord Henry is. And that's the gripe that I'm having. Right. Because Lord they Henry. They had to switch a we, lot around. We know how he feels about marriage. We know how he feels about his wife. In, yeah. in the book, his wife leaves him for another man. He doesn't seem to give a shit. Right. And now all of a sudden, when we come back to him, he's this loving, caring father who's very stern and still a little bit cynical about the world. But he seems mm -hmm. to have come around about many things because of fatherhood. That's not the guy I knew in the book. Yeah. But you're right. You, you lose. And again, it, it goes back to the heady thing because you go, all right, well, now he's the great thing that he's done is with this character that we don't ever even meet in the book. He just talks about we haven't ever met in the book or the movie. And now how are we going to throw this girl in here and have anybody give a shit about her? Oh, well, what if it's Lord Henry's daughter? Ooh, now he's going to backstab Lord Henry too, his one friend. And in the book, the end of the book, Lord Henry says, you and I will be friends forever. Nothing will, can ever change that. Yeah. And they're both on the same page as far as that goes. And it was almost like, how can we, we add a little bit of drama and conflict between the two of them? And again, yeah. Something that you go, ooh, what's going to happen here? It's a little reality TV, a little soapy, and it wasn't necessary. It it produces a desired effect, possibly, but I think the the damage that it does it kind of outweighs that. Totally, totally. But I know I'm harping on him way too much. I felt bad for Basil because. I thought he was poorly portrayed as well. Um, we opened the book with him and Dorian being best friends. They're best friends. Uh, Basil is the only one. I thought they had friend. a more, in the book, I thought they had more of an authentic relationship. Yeah. It, it's it's introduced and... to us in the movie in a, in a slightly creepy way because they wanted to foreshadow that he's going to fall in love with Dorian Gray. Uh, but his love was so much more innocent in the book. And they were best friends. And he put their friendship before anything else. 
And, you know, we saw what happens in the movie. And <laughs> if you're putting your friendship before anything else, that don't happen. That's not going to happen. Yeah. And it just felt out of character for both of them. So I don't know. But Basil, Basil definitely got the shit end of the stick uh, as far as the adaptation went. He came off as like a almost creepy. We're going, is this going to be like a, a child molester type guy? I don't know mm-hmm. if that's the feel you got. And it didn't have to be felt that way. And we never got a sense that. of their friendship. I didn't feel him and being in, that creepy. In a subtle way. It was almost like, ooh, the older guy's being creepy and eyeballing the younger guy. Which was okay. But it didn't it didn't follow. But if through you think about that. that, like including lines, and I know you're gonna be like, Well, you do it, you act it. Like including lines of like, I've never been more, I think there was only one in the movie where he says, the more I look, the more, uh, the more I see. Yeah. But in the book, I mean, everything that he said was just, you are the most beautiful thing. You are the most interesting thing. You are life. You are yeah. this. And you he could that. say it in a way, because Basil's saying these things in a way of like, you should know who you are in the way that I see you. And that's what I want to capture as an artist. Not like, ooh, I'm so, uh, I'm trying to steal a glance. Like, it, it wasn't the same emotion. And it was an important Steal emotion. a glance, he was painting his portrait. <laughs> I mean, when, no, no, when he first sees them. Okay, because we're introduced to him as he's having his portrait painted, and they already have a past, and we're made aware of that. Our imagination is doing all the heavy lifting. Hey, you're my best friend. Okay, I now have all these ideas about how their friendship has come to be. You don't need to show me that. Let my imagination do the work instead of, oh, hey, look at this picture I drew of you. Do you want to be friends and let me paint you? Oh, now I'm painting you. How do you guys know each other? Were you guys friends? Are you guys friends? No, I don't think so. I think this is a guy. It's like, oh, hey, some guy that sees you in the gym. I'll do free headshots for you if you want to come over. And you're going, but if if my best friend's like, hey, dude, you want me to shoot your headshots? Those are two different scenes and two different people hate to make it a oh uh, my god are we about to write the adaptation the in a hollywood the we, version the hollywood adaptation, <laughs> the hollywood adaptation to no, honestly i mean like we we're talking about with when when it comes to wild there's so much of that subtext and in so much of it feels like it rings really really true with culture that we even have today and and you know honestly in LA and in Hollywood and, and not in a bad way, but in a way where Lord Henry is finding the guy that he wishes that he was when he was younger or wishes that he could trade places with and, and kind of mentoring him in, in a way that is, isn't exactly moral because he's projecting a thing or two onto him. And I feel like, uh, that wasn't Basil in the book, but it felt that way in the movie yeah i just wanted to know they were best friends because something that they lose because of the painting is their friendship and because of lord henry is their friendship now if we don't have the friendship to begin with how do we lose it i didn't feel a sense of loss and the most horrible thing dorian does in his life is kill somebody who used to be his best friend now he's just killed some guy that painted him Right. Again, horrible crime doesn't weigh quite as heavy on the conscious as if it's yeah, somebody. Yeah, Basil 
in the film didn't affect him as much as Sybil's death did. Well, they de- yeah, they definitely they definitely had Sybil overshadow Basil as far as which what is was not on the him. case because in the book. very very evidently in the book the painting after Sybil kills herself because at the end of the day yeah he was a dick to her he acted yeah. completely out of line and it was messed up but I think most people that read it holy shit well she killed herself over that why did she, why would she do that it's so tragic and it plays into who she is as an actress in in her her fatalism but I don't think the blood's on his hands as far as the audience is concerned. And it's very clear that it's not in the book. And it's very clear that it is in the movie, literally. In the book, the painting changes after Sybil kills herself. No, no, no. Correction. After he yells at Sybil and breaks off their marriage, the painting gets a little darker. Now, in the book, after she kills herself, there's literally blood on the painting. There's blood, hand. and the blood doesn't appear on the painting until, until after Basil. Basil, which that's yeah. a pretty big distinction. Blood on your yeah. hand is a pretty on the nose metaphor for having killed somebody, and it's pretty clear in the book that he he wasn't directly responsible for Sybil's death, and he was directly responsible for Basil's. And now we're playing with the rules of the the mythology and the the bargain. I'm also really interested in discussing why in the film she drowned in the river instead of overdosing on pills. And I think it's because in the book, she references, she plays all the heroines in Shakespeare in the book, but he puts particular emphasis on her playing Juliet. Yeah. And so that's why I think like she overdoses yeah. she like poisons herself right and i feel like and then that's a, in the that's... film they meet by the river and he yeah. she was playing ophelia ophelia yeah. was the character that they emphasized yeah. it is interesting and, and again you know who knows why that decision was made but drowning in the Seine river is also kind of like a a common literary theme you know like we talked about dostoevsky that's that's something that happens in one of his novels and camus somebody drowns in the Seine. And so to have her drown in that particular river, as opposed to, you know, to whether she took the poison or was poisoned, is interesting because also now you have a definitive answer of she drowned herself. Or that's how it felt in the movie. Whereas in the book, some people were saying, well, was she possibly killed? How can you be foolish enough to think that she killed herself? And you're right. I like right. The, the motif of, you know, Juliet drinking the poison and if Sybil is going to kill herself she's going to do it in a poetic way yeah. based on what we know about her especially if the love is dead if if the love is alive don't you make that look sucks about that I just what? realized what if she thought that he was oh, going to come get her and find her and kill himself end yeah. of movie thank god <laughs> That's really sad. Yeah, and it's like she she becomes who she is again once her love for him dies. And that's why she kills herself. Yeah. What did you as an actress, how did you feel about her not being able to perform once she was in love? Or being uh, so bad. That fucking pissed me off so much. I think that speaks to a point of view on that's like uh, that art. kind of 
Yeah, that's like that shitty point of view. I can only do my art if I'm in pain. Okay, well, there's a difference between... Not if I'm happy. Yeah, but there's all... I also disagree very much with that. People who kind of chase a a tortured artist lifestyle in order to be better at art. I disagree with that. That's what I'm saying. I disagree with that completely. I don't like that at all. But that doesn't change the fact that so many great artists uh, draw from their own torture. It doesn't mean it works in reverse. It doesn't mean become uh, an alcoholic or something because you think it's going to make you a better artist but a lot of great art no because you're being phony an artist you know it's Wait, funny, I, you, you cut out there say that one more time if you're gonna be high or drunk all the time or sad all the time your art is not gonna be consistent like yeah. oh, i'm talking specifically about acting like if you do a performance you're not gonna be a reliable participant performer no. um, if you need an exterior mode like it should all come from inside in a healthy way in an ideal world i think yeah. that that's my like it's, jaded- it's that thing of organic you know it's the idea of being perceived as a thing or actually being a thing and i think and i'm not saying i haven't through. and i'm not saying that i haven't like taken a shot before a performance like you oh, know it helps <laughs> but um one of my favorite stories is um, i forget the actor's name but he plays the uh, fisherman in Jaws. Do you know who I'm talking about? June 29th. I think so. He does that monologue. Robert Shaw. Yeah, he yeah. does that monologue. And 3, I think men went into the water. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just know because that's my birthday. Oh, all yeah. Men died on my birthday. Yeah. Shucks. Anyway. And all the lots of bad James characters. Yeah. Yeah. No, James Vane was trying to avenge his sister's death. That's heroic. He dies an awful death. I know. Accidentally shot. <laughs> He's hiding in the bushes and, and somebody's shooting a rabbit and catches him in the chest. What a way to go. <laughs> and the, what was so great about that was and and again, I feel like there's so much packed into that thematically and philosophically. And they were like, eh, let's not do that. Let's do a train. Let's do a train bit. Yeah. Let's do a train bit. Train. So that, old train you know, bit. That classic train bit. But it was, <laughs> well, was like the way they reacted to his death. They were like, ah, son of a bitch. Now the guy that shot him's day is going to be ruined. But that says so much about the time and being part of that class. It's like yeah. if you go rabbit hunting and you kill a man, he shouldn't have been standing there. Yeah. They're like, don't worry about it. He, it's his fault. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, ah, he, the, the guy don't that shoots him even day. says, like, ah, ruined my hunt. My it'd hunt is a, ruined because this be, idiot is out in the bushes taking a shot to the chest. It's a little rude to continue hunting. That'd be like rude. <laughs> we have to stop now. <laughs> Nobody gave a shit when poor James was, got killed. What I was going to say is um, that guy, that actor, when he was giving that monologue, yeah. I think he asked Spielberg for permission to get super drunk to perform yeah. that monologue. Yeah. And then he did it and it was not usable. And so he had to yeah. come back and do it sober. Yeah. I mean, when it's an idea, it's not going to work. But when it's like something that's like, 
I can't say these words unless I take a shot and I'm not going to tell. I just, (laughs) it's not a choice I'm making. It's who I am. If I had to play Dorian, say that again. I I was going to say there's a difference between somebody who takes a shot before a scene because that's who they are and somebody who takes a shot before a scene because they want to be an edgy actor. Yes. Not to glorify or justify or, or, or even diminish either of those because, I mean, I'm not putting any sort of judgment on you know, drinking or alcoholism or, or I, I, I don't have anything against taking a shot to ease the nerves. Like if no. I was playing Dorian Gray and I had to plead to a higher power to yeah. put my soul into a painting instead of my having my body age and yeah. decay, hey, yeah. I would need to take a shot before I acted that scene. <laughs> I would have been in a real opium <laughs> den by the end. <laughs> We uh, know that, how that, you go real method in your that long opiate pipe. <laughs> I'm getting one of those. <laughs> no, yeah. but really, painkillers, no joke. Oh my god! Yeah, that was gnarly. The the opium, but it didn't even affect him. Only his picture. Yeah, which is just interesting. Like that, I feel like a lot of the reasons his painting was affected were just societal standards that were being violated. Like, yes, the murder should absolutely be wrecking your soul. Well, here we're onto something now because I think that plays into, again, the psychology of it. And I think what Oscar Wilde was so ahead of for his time and, and the things that he was writing about. And I feel like a lot of people were writing about at this time and, and some psychology that science hadn't really gotten to yet in a sense of, the the effect of the the super conscience on somebody and and what we believe to be true about what is right or wrong and not what we justify to be true about what is right or wrong but in our soul what we believe to be true about what right what is right and wrong regardless of society's opinion we will punish ourselves or reward ourselves for if i take an action that oh, oh big deal i I'm not hurting nobody. I'm just going to do this thing. And then I do it. But deep down, my super conscious knows. And for him, it's his painting in the attic, which represents the higher self. He's going to he's going to be punished for it. And in the things that we do throughout our life, we are going to be punished for. And even if it doesn't, we can because the thing is, the person that we're best at lying to is ourself. Right. So I can lie to myself all day long and justify and take these actions and and not actually be convinced that I'm doing anything wrong. But my superconscious knows. And it's going to punish me for it. And that punishment is going to come out as as shame or anxiety or depression or whatever it's going to come out as. But it's because that's what we believe to be true about the world. Now, society's opinion about morality and ethics may affect that. And and I think it's it's kind of that moving target of morality that that helps to shape our our social contract and the things that we agree to as far as behavior when it comes to living in a society. If I behave this way, I will be part of the tribe and I will be protected from the world and its dangers. If I if I don't behave that way, I will be exiled from the tribe and potentially die. So as our societies and our norms shift, our superconscious adjusts. We believe these things to be true. And when we act out of line with them, we are punished via shame. You nailed it. Sorry. And I think, no, I think you totally nailed it. And I think that if that 
if it were to be um, in present day, I don't think the painting would have become as warped as it did. Right. Like that moving target has moved and we have different social norms. So we we aren't going to punish ourselves for things that he did because we don't believe them to be in violation of, of our current social contract. But he knew that he was in violation of the social contract at the time, because regardless of what we believe to be true now, the things that we believe to be true now wouldn't necessarily benefit society and protect that tribe from the dangers of the world the same way that it would now. So those norms shift for a reason, and sometimes they overcorrect, and sometimes that pendulum swings too far. But the things we're taught definitely shape the way that our, our psychology views the world and the way that we should behave in it. And and we rebel against that as much as we can, but ultimately we're going to pay the price for that. Now, I think that there is definitely some, you know, malfunctions of the brain that stop people from, from feeling that way or ever having to pay the price. And this is almost an allegory for, you know, somebody who may be a, a, a narcissist or a sociopath or, or a psychopath, because he doesn't have to pay that price directly. The painting pays it. Right. So he has separated himself from any cost of of living selfishly, which is essentially living primally and not repressing any urges of the mind and body. Right. We repress urges because we want to be sorry, I'm on one now. We repress <laughs> urges because we want to we we want to play by the rules because we, we want to be in the game. Yeah. So we repress these urges and then they manifest in other ways or they stay repressed and we suffer because of them and, and they grow inside of us and make us hate ourselves or we learn to cope and learn to deal with them and whatever your thing in life may be. But Dorian doesn't have to repress anything because he doesn't ever have to pay a price or so he thinks. And then by the end, he realizes that he is intertwined with that picture and it's, it's, it's the end of him. Boom. Boom. Sorry, I, I don't know what I said. <laughs> oh my God, it was so good. Yeah, nailed it. But no, but I think about, I really relate to this material because I think about these themes and in, in, in the, the, the philosophy and psychology of it very often. And I think that's why we still read books like these today is because they contain so much of that information in a way in which we can read or watch or perceive as art, as opposed to having to read some philosophy or science or psychology book that we can't necessarily grasp or understand. It's, it's a delivery system for how to get by in this world. Yes. That's it. (laughs) Why'd you choose this one? Or did you Um, just sum it up basically? I mean, I've wanted to read it for a long time because of those reasons. I happen to it's be halfway. Was that? Is it on our list? Well, it's on. Uh, so there, there's a list of top it's 100 books. How many books that we are trying to read 100. by the end of the year? Well, no. We chose our list is 25 20? or 20. We choose, chose 10, and it is on one of our lists. I forget who picked it. Okay. But yeah, so I was about halfway through it, and you said, hey, you want to do a pod? And I said, sure. Oh, you cheater. I didn't know you were halfway through. I told you I was. I was already reading it. Well, you didn't want to do the Brothers Karamazov. No. Which I had just finished. So Dorian Gray. But I'm really glad we did this one. 
but they there's, did. I mean, there's been multiple adaptations, TV series, films. I don't think um, any of them have made any sort of cultural impact. So, which I also yes. don't think any movie has, as far as Dorian Gray goes either. Because you don't go, oh, yeah. Dorian Gray, that's a movie, right? Whereas you're, no, you're you like, oh, Twilight. You, yeah, you, you only really, oh, yeah, that's a book. Unless yeah. you're like a big Colin Firth fan like you. I'm glad we watched it. You should have picked the forty, the nineteen forty-five one. I'm watching that one. I kind of want to watch it now to I'm see. I'll probably watch what them they all. Did. He's also the character is also portrayed in um, a lot of uh, more contemporary uh, movies and shows. I think he is actually in the TV show Penny Dreadful. You know, yeah, in a different is. context, it's as though he didn't die and he's thousands of years old. And also, in I read this last night, but also I think he was in the new reboot of Sabrina. On, uh, oh really on netflix where he plays like a warlock fabulous um so there's I, been different I hear iterations it's good. i really? hear sabrina's I very it. good also it's the also... league of extraordinary gentlemen the character is in that i read okay i'll have to check that out that's a film i haven't yeah. seen but um it's also in that play we do the scene in our class it's alluded to like the themes are always alluded to in lots mm-hmm. of different works of art so um I forget the name of the play, but it's a scene that um, shout out to Glenn and Ashley. They they did a that scene recently because the guy I think paints his self portrait yeah. and makes it super messed up. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know the scene you're talking about. I, I forget uh, the name uh, of the play. It'll come to me. But yeah, I know the scene, and it's it's he paints it horribly ugly. Yeah, and it like very much concerns her. Yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of a Classic. a throwback to to Dorian Gray. Yeah, I do feel like one day somebody ought to do. Uh, that's not fair to say. I need to watch all of the the adaptations because there's about five or six of them. But I I would really love to see a great Dorian Gray film, and not like a reimagining or a remake. Those would be awesome too. I'd love to see that. But I'd really love to see one that that makes you feel the way the book does yeah but that's also subjective if you want a page by page recreation no but i'll see but you can cap you can get closer to capturing it it's tough but i would love that too not saying it's not tough i feel like going back to the painting real quick before we log off i feel like um it would have almost been more effective to just see the subtle changes every time you you get the painting in a different shot. Yeah, they really withheld the painting, which the book does a little bit too. But then the next time we see it, it's like alive and it's like, and it's roaring and alive. And a alive. It has like a back now. I wish they had made it so that they would, the changes were subtle enough that I would have to lean forward and mm-hmm. look at And it. if the camera was just slowly pushing in, and then you can even, if you want to do a smash cut to scare us and use those tactics, you can still do it without tainting the story. So if you're pushing in on a subtle detail and he's squinting his eyes and leaning forward to try and see it, and then boom, 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 somebody knocks on the door. Oh, Jesus, I got to cover the painting. We now get our jump scare. We, we stay true to the story and we don't have to do some crazy uh, CGI monster of a painting. We could have played with it in, in, a, in a more subtextual way that, that pertained to what he was actually doing and how he was behaving in the world. Yeah. I wanted to see a hideous, tainted soul of a man and not just a gross, buggy monster, I guess. Yeah. 
like the first time he sees it, he actually wipes it. It's just a tear that appears yeah. on the painting. Yeah. Which was a very interesting choice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I didn't knock it the way that I did because it, it didn't deserve that. The movie did not deserve me to be harsh and I didn't mean super to super entertaining film. I think, I think we're being harsh because we literally just it like you and I both closed the book and, and turned the movie, the movie on and, and had it been six months later and I had time to, to really digest and think about the book and, and distance myself from it a bit. It may have been a very different watch. But and if I, I, were to be- I was being hypercritical because, uh, you know, we're talking about it today and we're dissecting it. This is a so podcast- I'm probably being far too harsh. No, I mean, here's the thing. Like, this is what this show is for. It's supposed to, like, be exploring our thoughts on these pieces and yeah. the changes that are inevitably going to happen. And most of the time, unfortunately, like, people are unhappy. But I do think that there were so many nice things about the film. I was very entertained. But and and if I honestly think about it, like yeah, a lot of things I really didn't like. Like, okay, I'll 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 jump into the fire with you right now and say something unflattering. When um with the ending, when they when he gets locked in the attic with the fire and he runs to the painting, and the painting comes out of oh, the canvas basically at him, and he starts <sighs> to shift. Which is written in the book, he becomes, you know, he the painting and him swap the painting. Mm-hmm looks untarnished and he dies which is i I love that but the way that the painting the way it was done i literally audibly i'm not joking audibly i said all right all right (laughs) i watched that if i were you i would have said all right so many times whoa whoa (laughs) whoa that was me the whole movie okay all right all right all right Oh, and then how about, <laughs> we can't not talk about a couple of the scenes. The scene where he seduces the, the, the young girl and then hides her under the bed and then and has sex bangs with her mom, mom with in her mom, front of her. And then bangs her again. And then high fives Lord Henry. Didn't actually. And then that alluded a, to the fact that it was a bet. Yeah, double or nothing. I'm dead over that uh-huh. line. <laughs> double or nothing. Uh-huh. Uh, Again, all right, but it wasn't. I mean, circumstantially, I that's a whoa. really effective way to show somebody's lack of of morals, right? But I also feel like it was one of the very first things he did after the painting. It wasn't like this is who he has now become. That was like no, 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 no. This is where it starts. I'm like whoa, no, whoa, <laughs> whoa. God damn! He just—they're—they're they're going and he in did hot. It so coldly. They're going in hot, man. And then also wow. after that, he just up and goes to find Basil. Yeah. And Isn't he tired? <laughs> guy's got to eat a lot of steak, a lot of raw meat in his diet, because he is going and going. Now I'm beat red. <laughs> <laughs> now let me ask you a question real quick. Do you, I know we're running a little long here, but um, <laughs> do you feel as, and I don't know just because I don't know the, the other material, but is um, 50 Shades of Grey, is it, is it 
thematically and subtextually kind of trying to carry the context of Dorian Gray into that story. Fascinating. I'm curious. Do you want to read Fifty Shades and come back on the show? (laughs) (laughs) I'd be open to discussing it, but I'm not going to verbally commit right now. I have a few other things I want to read before I get to that. Listeners, why don't you email me at uh, basedonshow at gmail.com if you want James to if read there's, If there's a demand. <laughs> we get four or five people that are that want to hear it. <laughs> I'll read the sucker. I don't know how to answer your question because I feel like you I know this like about it. me. I've only read certain scenes in the book. Fair enough. I've only read certain scenes, so I, mean, I don't I'd be know about the thematic in, context yeah. of Fifty Shades. I just feel like, you know, a common, you know, whether it be in jest or sincerely, I feel like if you go, oh, yeah, I finished reading a picture of Dorian Gray, it's like, what is that? Like uh, Fifty Shades of Gray? I feel like that's a common response to, wait, what is that material? Is that where that comes from? Is that what that's based on? Clearly, it's not based on it. I mean... There's no direct connection, but it feels like taking that immoral stance of that character, it it carries a lot of weight to name your character after that. I don't think so, because Mm -hmm. the, I mean, if I were in charge of writing Fifty Shades, um, I would have probably spelled gray the same way. And she didn't. No? Why not? Because. You write more than I do, so please. No, because share you get with to go, oh, I didn't copy it. I changed the letter. I changed it to an E. <laughs> Fine. Then maybe everybody steals everything. It's just some people steal it well and, and disguise it. And some people I mean, steal it another narcissist, and disguise it. Another narcissist story, right? Well, yeah. I, in a way, yeah. What's his, what's his actual name in, in that story? Um, just what, something great, Sebastian Gray? I'll tell you right now. Again, the gray, the most common. Christian. Christian, Christian gray. gray. It's Christian Dorian. I, I feel like it's probably just connecting in my mind as a thing when it really isn't. Well, maybe I have to change my answer from Camus to the writer of that book so I can ask her and have a gin with her. E.L. James. Yeah. Fascinating. Another, James, another famous James. Oh, my God. So many James. Henry James. That's another one. Just a few more. We're doing great. I think this is a very uh, good spot to uh, ask you if you um, you said you used to be on the Game of Thrones message message boards. Well, are there the, any the, the subreddit? Just because you could just go for days, and there's so much, and also there's just so much backstory and history and universe there that you can just dig and go forever and and come up with kind of your own theories and and mythologies and it just feels like real world history because it runs back so far and so detailed and that's why i think it it was really fascinating to me because the world building was so well done and i feel like especially lately i i connect with universes much much more and it's just fun and and it's upsetting sometimes because you're like, oh, yeah, it's not real. Yeah. That right sucks. now we need escapism more than yeah. ever. But it's so fun to just get into that thing. And yeah. I, you could. there's a lot of accessibility to do that with Game of Thrones. Now, 
maybe one day I'll revisit the last season because unfortunately, maybe it was the headspace I was in. Maybe it's who I was as a person. But when I did watch that last season and that last episode and, and I don't have any hate or anger or, or want to blame it on anybody. I'm not one of those guys. that's like, they screwed screwed it up. I just know that I like the entire show less because of the last season. That's not a critique or I'm not, I'm just saying that the way I feel about the entire show was slightly dampened by putting my face in front of a TV that played the last season. Wow. But I also love star Wars. I like, uh, I, I can, I'm into the Marvel stuff. I like to just, as long as I don't let it get to a level where I'm overly distracted and just using it as a drug because I'm, you know, don't have other drugs to use or I'm not a drug user and I need a distraction from life and whatever I should be doing. So I dive so far into this, like that was probably a thing with Game of Thrones. I was probably resisting finishing something I was writing and judging it too harshly and thinking that I was horrible. And the only way to ease that, uh, uh, existential shame and guilt uh, was to just read about uh, the House Targaryen five thousand years ago. <laughs> so you love it, but you're talking massive shit about the last season. I'm do- I, I think I did a pretty good job of putting all the blame on me for my dislike of the season. You're my second person to talk shit about Game of Thrones in a row. So audience, please stick around. (laughs) Not all of my guests are going to Listen, time will will reveal the truth about what that last season was. All right? And (laughs) I don't blame anybody. Listen, it's hard. You did an, again, you did an incredible thing. You made an incredible thing from an incredible existing thing, all right? But if you get to overtime in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals and you don't score, you lose. It's a great season. It's a great playoff run. But we ain't having a parade. Wow. It's art. It's not a game with with <laughs> points. Hey, well, okay. You you turn sports into a business so that people will pay to watch that sport, right? They're your fans. You create a TV show for fans. They are now your fans. You essentially are that person's sport. It's the same thing. It's just a different medium. Okay. Sports is storytelling or was supposed to be when it started. Is it not? You Sports? learn. Yeah, you learn uh, how to live in the world effectively and nobly and all of the good stuff. All right. All right. I'll let you have it. I didn't flesh that out quite the way I wanted, but I'm not going to backtrack and try again. So take it for you what can it can if you. <laughs> no, I think I think we got your dress. You're very eloquent. We oh, get the it. Same thing with like wrestling. Okay, granted, you know, wrestling's fake, but in in the '90s or, or the the late '80s, when you know we still believed that wrestling, or I did because I was a child, believed that wrestling was real. You learn things from that, and the story is driven by 
this person is the hero. This person is the bad guy. The bad guy's going to do the right thing, even though it means he loses. The bad guy's going to, the good guy's going to do the right thing, even though it means he loses. The bad guy's going to low blow him just so that he can win. But now the story's going to develop and we're going to see that ultimately the bad guy has his downfall because he acted immorally and the good guy lives nobly and happily and gets the woman. That's storytelling. Now, sports, we hope that great stories and, and heroic things happen organically through competition but essentially it's the same thing dating back to 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 the athens and the olympics yes it's her hercules you're right all right i don't like saying that often why but you're right oh that i'm right not about (laughs) sports being stories (laughs) i'll say it once every six eight months but no more than that I'll say it once for every 40 times you say it to me. (laughs) True. (laughs) So is there anything else before we wrap up? I'm done with Dorian Gray. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) All right, everyone. So I just wanted to invite you all, if you write any fan fiction and feel like sharing it, I would be honored to share it on our show uh you can email it to me at based on show at gmail.com i want to thank you so much james liddell can i interrupt real quick because i'm i'm now yes at the thing that you sent me uh yes only because i had an opinion on this thing that we didn't cover and you said something maybe you want to read it the question of the day number one. Oh yeah do you want me to read it to you? And we ask don't have to do number two, answer. but I feel like I kind of do want to discuss because you did write it. All right. James, in the preface, Oscar Wilde writes that there is no such thing as a moral or immoral book, meaning that art has no effect other than aesthetic on individuals or society. Do you agree? And does the novel agree? <clears throat> Okay, so I feel like what happened here when you wrote this question, and and correct me if I'm wrong, is I feel like you you carried over the point of view of Lord Henry directly into Oscar Wilde and injected that into the words of the preface. Because what you say here is, in other words, art has no effect other than aesthetic uh, on individuals or society. And I don't take that from what he wrote in the preface. He says there is no such thing as moral or or an immoral book. The way that I take that is is more so that the book should be not taking sides on on one side or the other of the theme and and it's not judging morality, it's discussing it, but I don't think that that means that it can't have an effect on on the reader and i i think that lord henry believes that and i think lord henry says that directly he says art has has no effect other than than beauty but i don't think that oscar wilde believes that because he has so effectively proven that wrong with this book 100 percent. and lord henry is not an artist no, he's not. He's a critic, just like yes. we are right now. <laughs> but we're also we're artists. Kind of so <laughs> we're also no, I think it's artists. important because that's that's I, I because to me that's the only purpose of art. 
I think the only thing that I think the only thing that changes civilization and society is art. It changes people's point of view on the world and thus affects culture. And then culture has the ability to change the world because it changes the way that other people view the world. And I think without art, we couldn't slowly change the the class consciousness of people and then create real change in the world. Because without it, and, and this extends outside of just, you know, a, a great novel or a movie, you know, even now, the, the art of social media or whatever it may be, it can be for, for better or for worse. But when, when somebody is uh, affected by something that they see or hear and start to believe that, whether because it, it's so well done and affecting or because it's jammed down their throat year after year, the world changes because over time we all, the next generation now has this new point of view and takes actions to change it. And I think that that's how the world evolves and, and, and why that target of morality keeps moving and why a hundred years ago we believe that it's immoral to act this way and your soul will suffer. And a hundred years later, we don't feel that way because we've learned through through art. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Are you going to make that noise? What noise? That's all. Yeah. I think that's important. That's important to me. Because 100%. I feel like. I think that's the only thing that stands the test of time. And I think something that kind of misses the mark in aimed at a, a target that may have been a hundred years ago. I don't think that that work is read a hundred years later. And I think that Lord Henry actually makes a point about that. And he says, I'm only interested in the opinion of the youth. Anytime I hear the opinion, and again, I'm misquoting, only read the book once. Yeah. But he says, I, I take never, that tone with me. I only I read never the book listen once. to the opinion of the aging, because if you listen to them, you'll believe what people believed in 1820. Yeah. When people believed everything and knew nothing. I don't think that was in the movie. No, it wasn't. It was Great Lord Henry line at the end, but instead we had him going, uh, he's Sherlock Holmes now, all of a sudden. (laughs) If he had the goddamn pipe, I'd have been like, oh, hey, you're doing a Sherlock thing. (laughs) It's a Sherlock bit. Great, great summation in in philosophy and psychology in, in the book from lord henry at the end and instead we're getting detective wooten not not even watson we're doing the when the... he start, when he grabbed the pictures and started piecing things together and then he runs out the door yeah <sighs> and then dorian sees the pictures out and chases him oh yeah oh he's put it together what? <laughs> yeah huh huh wait 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 I paused it and I went, excuse me? Huh? What? What's <laughs> happening? What? We're going happened? on an adventure. Did I put on a different movie? I did it again. I put on a different <laughs> Colin Firth movie. <laughs> All right. You already wrapped this thing up. I know. <laughs> Thank you.
Of course. This Thank is you for awesome. having me. This was so much fun. I really, really appreciate it. And anytime you can encourage me to read a book, I'm happy to. I'm going to have you back. I'm going to assign it after we log off. Sorry, yeah. not sorry. Pick something good. Very good. I will. Uh, thank you so much, James. Um, James, where can our listeners follow you? I don't know. Somewhere. Come on. Come on. Follow me through Hollywood. Oh, my God. Well, my address. My I don't God. do social media. I, I have one. I probably not going to be on it. So, I mean, J underscore Liddell on Instagram. If you, if you okay. must. Thank you. And both. what would you like to? Yep. I'm still you email me. You should email me. James uh, Mark Liddell at Gmail. I don't think that's his real email. You guys don't know. No, it is. Him. I have an email. Chain. How come I have your other email? I got a new one doing away with all those. So I have your spam email account. Is yeah. that what you're telling me? It's more of a all storage right. box now. Wow. I can't believe you just gave your email out. <laughs> Oh no. I'm <laughs> fucked. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> now I'm absolutely fucked. <laughs> absolutely fucked. Time to plug. What are you working on? What's coming up? Uh, okay, I'm, uh, I'm not I'm not good at the plugging stuff, but I'm going to give it my my damnedest try right now. I've just had a movie come out. It's on Amazon Prime. It's on Roku, Tubi TV for free. Tubi's a really great app. I use it anyway, free streaming movies and television. The film is called Two Ways to Go West, directed by Ryan Brookhart, starring James Adele, Drew Kinney, and Paul Gennaro. Um, check it out. Um, and other than that, I'm writing, working on some other movies, just trying to create some stuff. So, you know, I feel as though I don't feel as guilty being hard on these these fellas that made this movie. Okay, I got a good taste of getting critiqued and bashed He's over the past month. So, no, I had one fella really ream me. We had a thoughtful discussion about it. I don't think we yeah. had a troll sesh. So, I want to say everyone should go watch his movie. I've seen it. James not only is the lead, he also <laughs> wrote and produced the film. Um, and if you heard me say shout out to Drew earlier on the show as because someone that, that we would absolutely uh, cast we, 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 Gray. We, redo, we should what we should do is to accompany this pod is we should do a short film we should self-produce a fan short film with drew as dorian gray with me as basil and, <laughs> Yo, I need it. and uh and luke as no maybe <laughs> Um, we need that. Um, Luke, so Luke will not be in this unless he's Dorian Gray. We think we know that. I'm <laughs> dead. Um, so as soon as we we produce that short, you can put this podcast out. It's probably going to be two years, two three first. years. Check them out because James is excellent. As is Drew. Great film. Check it out on all the platforms. Support our friends. Any book or movie recommendations that you have for our listeners? Read the, the picture of Dorian Gray. Read the picture of Dorian Gray. The book Gray. is great. I mean, watch the movie it if is. you want. It, it's 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 a fine movie. We're being jerks. I just Most been trying to watch. Are. I've been trying to watch a lot of really light, fun, just movies, just real blockbusters, like stuff that I've neglected for for too long. I've been watching. Watch Star Trek. 
the new the newer version. Um, watched a lot of Star Wars. Just went back to the beginning and watched uh, the originals, some of the newer ones. Um, and if you just go in to enjoy it, it's just good movies. I spent a lot of quarantine watching just great cinema. Adventure. Back to the Future. Watched all three. Oh, just fun. Spielberg. It's just. I feel like we've lost so much of what was great about filmmaking. And I know that this is just a thing that people say when they start to get older, but I really, really feel like there's so much great filmmaking to be learned in that we can, we can rediscover and not just be actors that are just squinting and staring at each other and thinking for six minutes. And then the movie ends I want I want people to be acting crazy. I, I want people to be yelling and going, "Oh my god, there's aliens, there's mummies." I'm 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 just into the the stuff that's just out there. I'm over you want stuff. Heroes that, that wear boots and hats. I want yeah, I want heroes. I want stories. I want I want to know that people are being taught to to try and live. Uh, a life heroically or virtue or whatever it may be. And I want to see people doing that. <laughs> and I don't need like just whisper acting. Like my God, I want to oh, just yelling across the river and making jokes when I, the world's about to end, but I'm going to crack a good zinger because the writer wrote a good zinger. Yeah. I want to see that mo- like, I'm tired of, of, well, that's cliche. We're not going to do that. Or that's the, okay. Well, everything's cliche for a reason. Also, we, we, we have to outsmart the cliches. Sure. But we still got to do them. A lot of them. And I'm tired of not ever seeing the stuff that works because we're too smart to do the stuff that works. I want to just dumb it down a little bit and get back to the, 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 the roots of it. I like it. You know? And that so doesn't mean that, that we can't evolve and, and affect change or whatever it may be, but it's 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 storytelling techniques. I also don't think it's fair to say dumbing it down because I think there is so no, much. No, it's so brilliant. Technology. It is. But it's like, and I've been there. I, I do well. Live cynically my whole life. And it's so easy to be like, oh God, oh God, oh God. Like I just did for this entire podcast. <laughs> but also thought- there's a way in which it works. There's a way in which it works and you watch, go watch Jaws, like the, the, the story you're telling about the, the monologue. Nobody's going to do yeah. that now. Oh, that's, that's over or that's this or that's no, 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 no. I want, I want a sailor with a gritty voice telling <laughs> me about thousands of people being eaten by sharks. And then I want the shark to attack. I don't want two people just sitting there staring at each other, thinking, being brilliant actors. No, yell and be crazy. That's my message to the world. On that note, (laughs) this was based on an adaptation podcast. I'm Pamela Portnoy. We'll have a new episode out to you every other Monday. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. And please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Based on Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much again to our guest, James Liddell. Well, and thank, thank you. you.
Oh my God, yay. And thank you to Tiffany Hamoff, Jackson Palmer, Clara Palmer, Maya Ashkenazi, Jordan Ross Weinhold, Jason Pro, and Soundworks Studios.